Good afternoon. Today I'm talking to Paul. Hiya, Paul. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi there. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, so my name is uh, Paul Gitchum and I am the author of the DCI Warren Jones series of police procedurals. Uh, today, uh, June 4th, is a big day for me because it is the publication date for the seventh book in the series. It's the seventh full length. There are four novellas also. And uh, basically, I am uh, celebrating with a, a chip supper and a second jab. So party, party at, at the Gitchum House. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for, for inviting me on to talk, though, Don. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. And happy publication day to you. Thank you. And a happy second jab day as well, I guess. Also, something. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it's a, it, the, the the warmth and happiness when people go for their jab. It's a couple of times I've heard about it, but the you know it's it's almost a party atmosphere in there. I mean, no, everybody knows that you know you, it's a few weeks until you're um, fully protected, and even then, with all the variants and stuff, you you really should continue as you were before. But uh, there is this, yeah. There's just a kind of happy feeling in the in the room, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It is a nice feeling. Yeah, I, I've mm. had both of mine as well. So, yeah, yeah. It's good. Anyway, books. <laughs> yes, books, books. You'll be pleased to know, by the way, if anyone's shielding from COVID by reading, um, my books are typically set two or three years prior to publication date so no covid in my books just yet <laughs> <laughs> so did you always want to write um yeah I, i've always wanted to be to be a writer yeah i mean it's i i mean I, i'm a scientist by training i, I started I was always very interested in science. My, my dad used, uh, was, a, was a scientist as well. And I've always been really interested in that. Now, when it came to um, sort of writing, it was a hobby and, and a love of books. And my favourite thing in English lessons was the creative writing, you know. Um, my, my primary school teacher, bless her, would say, right, your homework is to write a three-page story. So there's me handing like a 50-page masterpiece. <laughs> well, maybe masterpiece is the wrong word. And bless her, she used to read it through. She used to read, always read through it. Um, and, uh, you know, the uh, there's, but, uh, some of those stories, my mum my mom found them the other day in a cupboard. Um, that's where they'll stay but yeah I loved it and in fact when I actually left primary school she wrote on my report um, that I that um, well two things if my handwriting doesn't improve I'll never get anywhere and I should be the next Roald Dahl and my handwriting has got worse um, <laughs> and unless uh, Roald Dahl also wrote police procedurals uh, I've also failed on that count but uh, yeah, I always wanted to, and basically, I always had something on the go, some sort of project. But I, I, I was at university. I did, I did um, molecular biology at university. I did a PhD. I did research. Um, again, it's always something on the go. And it wasn't until I, was, I, I retrained as a school teacher, science teacher, um, after after doing research, and I did a hobby, and I went to some writing classes. Because I really just really because I wanted to do it, and they were such good fun. I loved them. I loved the games and stuff. But we were encouraged to bring in some whatever we were working on, and I did. And that book again is never finished. But it really put the seed in my head, and uh, yeah, it was that that kind of really got me, gave me a kick at the bum. And when I finally had the idea for the first book, The Last Straw, back in uh, Easter two thousand eleven, I just had so I just celebrated ten years of, of writing. Um, when that, when that seat took place, when it, when it took hold, um, I went for it. And uh, I finished that book. It was the first thing I'd ever finished in the, in about September. So Easter is September, which is pretty quick. Um, it's, it's not normally that quick. And, um, yeah, and then I just went immediately into writing the sequel. So that was, that was the thing. It, it got me going then, and uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. And now I'm I'm a sort of hybrid. I I, I do um, still do some science tutoring and stuff with the um, but the uh, and then split my time with, with the writing. So yes, I'm in a very very happy medium at the moment. My two loves. <laughs> nice. 
as someone that's just finished a forensic science degree, I really hate science with a passion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a couple of forensic scientists who follow me. In fact, I actually have a couple of former students. I, I when because I teach science, there is for A level that there used to be. Unfortunately, the courses has kind of disappeared. There was a, a, an applied science course, did a whole loads of modules. One of the modules was forensic science. Now, ironically, I didn't used to normally teach that because the other there was three teachers and the other teacher did that module. But uh, one year we had a timetable issue, which meant that I had to do an additional lesson uh, a fortnight. And so Tim, um, who was teaching it, basically said, look, this is crazy. Why don't we do it so that um, I'll do the physics part, because he was a physics teacher of the forensic science. You're doing like um, refraction indexes for broken glass. Um, he used to do blood spatter. He said, why don't you do a couple of lessons? And so I did one on managing the crime scene. And the kids loved it because we were teaching Essex. And uh, we found West Midlands police doing a video on how to secure a crime scene on YouTube. And when it started, when you first get to a crime scene, it's very important <laughs> that nobody steps over the line. Well, the kids were just rolling about with this. They, you know, it's like, come on, guys, I'm from Coventry. You know, it's, it's not that, it's not that bad. Um, and I did, um, I did putative blood test. Um, so we, we got some, we got some chicken blood, and we got some fake blood, and we we did the um, the test with the, the peroxide and stuff, and uh, it was really lovely. And in fact, a couple of those students went on and did degrees in forensic science, um, which was lovely. One of them came back actually to tell me about how she, you know, she got full full marks and all her, all her essays. I mean, I'm not taking any credit whatsoever for that, but it was just oh, fantastic! It was so lovely to, to see them again. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got, uh, yeah, there's a lot of science. It's, it's fascinating. I mean, who knows? If I, if I were to have my time over again, would I have gone into the molecular biology, which I enjoyed? Maybe not. Maybe I'd have gone for forensic science because it's more of a, a broader range of, of sciences instead of being so narrow, which is what I, uh, which is what my, uh, my degree is. Yeah. yeah, lots of chemistry. I <laughs> yeah. hate chemistry. <laughs> That's why I'm teaching them both. I hated it to begin with. Now I hate it even more. I never wish to <laughs> learn anything about chemistry ever. <laughs> you should come to some of my online my online lessons, teaching yeah. practical chemistry online. Um, yeah, not a lot of practical work being done, but lots of videos from YouTube and stuff. Um, yes, that's that was a challenge. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I fail my um, drugs and toxicology exam, then I might. <laughs> I have to yeah. retake it next year. Then. Yeah, maybe I will. Maybe I'll actually learn what the hell they're talking about because I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we seem to have digressed again. Should we go back we to We have. Books? Yeah. We've gone off. Yes, books. Yes, books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm blaming you, maybe. I can't <laughs> I'm sure it's not my fault. <laughs> so, when you wrote your first book, did you think that you would writing your eighth in the series no um i would i mean i mean don't get me wrong i had the fantasy that would be but uh, i knew i knew from a wrote when i when i wrote that first book that it would would be a series I mean, i knew i like i happen to like series fiction i like standalones as well but i do like series fictions and i, I like getting to know a character over several books so when i wrote finished writing the last draw i already had ideas for another couple Having, but having not successfully finished a book before, um, you know, it was always, and I was working as a teacher, it was just stupid hours, you know, would it ever happen? Um, and no, I mean, it would, um, it, is, it is a dream come true in many respects. And I look back, and I can't believe it's been 10 years. It's, you know, the, um, I had a self proclaimed DCI Warren Jones Day um, back in, uh, in April, because um, that's because I, I was happened to be looking at some old files and I found the the, the first the first file I started with the last straw and the file creation date and I was like oh my goodness that's 10 years is coming up soon so we, we put it in the calendar and I, I I made sure I had a blog post and a sort of mini celebration and stuff so um that was really good fun so yeah I mean I mean it's the eighth 
obviously the eight, the it would be the one I'm writing at the moment for next summer is, is the eighth full length, um, then straight on to the ninth. Um, and I've got the four novellas as well. And there's a couple of short stories kicking around. Uh, my uh, may make a make an appearance at some point. But to think that I've got the whole, all of that is just, yeah, yeah, it's mind blowing. If I've told myself that 10 years ago, it would have been like, whoa, okay, that, that's unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you were to place yourself in any of your books, what character would you be and which book would you choose? Well, Warren, because that he is me. <laughs> I mean, my, my, so my, my protagonist, DJ Warren Jones, who I didn't really talk about, I must admit, when I did the interview, uh, but I did the introduction. Um, yeah, so he shares a lot of similarities with me in that we're roughly the same age. He's, he's two or three years older than me. Um, we're both from Coventry. We both, not so much now, but certainly when I was at university, we, we do not like being called Brummies, okay? Our accent, while superficially similar to Birmingham, is not Birmingham. Warren is very keen for you to know that, as was I back then. Obviously, my accent has sort of blended a lot over the years. Um, his wife Susan is a biology teacher so I've put a bit of me in her but yeah um, he's a fussy eater so that's me his musical tastes which he is teased about relentlessly by his colleagues are 80s pop and uh, my partner and I listen to pretty much nothing but 80s pop when we've got the music on the heart 80s um, uh, Saturday nights I don't know if the neighbours can hear us but Saturday nights is game night in the kitchen and we've got the radio on with heart 80s so uh yes the so in that respect yes it would have to be warren in charge sending everybody off which book well that's tricky because i'm a i'm a bit of a bugger to him in most of them um yeah uh possibly the last straw the first book for the sole reason that he's new on the job which is hard but I haven't been really nasty to him yet. So, um, so yes, uh, he's still here. Yeah, he's in his mid thirties. He's, you know, he started a new job. It's difficult. It, it's challenging. He's got his problems, but you know what? Everything's going fine. Um, so uh, yeah, earlier in the series, the better. <laughs> um, a random question, but um, if you were to choose any way you could die in a book, how would you choose to die? <sighs> Oh, well, it's got to be something we talked about, isn't it? I mean, you know, you don't want to do anything really embarrassing. Um, stepping off the, the curb, you know, or choking on peanut butter, that, that's a good one. You know, chin, peanut butter can be really sticky. Um, yeah, I vowed never to eat peanut butter uh, um, when on my own after an unfortunate incident in a flat a few years ago when I genuinely did wonder if that was going to be it, that was going to die on peanut from peanut butter so no um how would i die saving the you have to be saved we have to sacrifice with me you've got to be you know you've got to be bigged up if we've got to have people people at the funeral saying any and the news saying yeah hero hero police officer killed you know killed in the line of duty um yeah that right head on okay tackling a terrorist taking them out but in, you know, unfortunately, um, mortally wounded. And whilst it would be painful and unpleasant, mortally wounded, but staying alive just long enough to tell everybody what you've just done. Tell everyone you love them. Um, hopefully people with phone, mobile phones will record your last words. You know, you don't want to die instantly because then there's no there's no glamour. You, that sounds really inappropriate, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on because, you know. <laughs> it sounds kind of like you thought about that before as well, which I think is slightly more worrying. Ironically not. Believe it or not, no. That that was that was literally over the bullshit tap and let it pour out. That was that was just made up there and then on the spot, which is quite which I don't know if that's that's worse, possibly. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> better move on because I'm a teacher. I'm an upstanding member of, the, of society and I wouldn't want to um, lose that, uh, lose the respect that people have for me. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any phobias and would you write about them? Do you know, I don't really. Uh, there are things that are unpleasant, um, which I would avoid. Um a touch of claustrophobia maybe but only in specific circumstances so i would never go spelunking um the idea that i get caught in a hole 
And it's not so much being caught in the place, although that's not nice. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big fan of things like MRI scans. But being in a, caught in a hole, knowing full well that there's several hundred thousand tons of rock above you, so they're never going to move the rock out of the way. I mean, it's you coming out. It's not the rock getting out of the way. So, yeah, would I write about that? Possibly not, for the simple reason, having manfully avoided it for my entire life, I might struggle to uh, to, to talk about it. Um, yeah, yeah, so I probably wouldn't. I mean, yeah, it's an interesting, very, very interesting question, that actually. Um, one I've not thought about before. <laughs> Good, I like to ask interesting questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the most interesting thing you found doing research for your books? Ooh, right. Okay. So interesting way to kill people. That's that's always a good one. Um, yeah, trying try, try to think about, because the latest book has quite a body count in it, and I, I don't want to give too much away, um, but there's some interesting things there. Um, funnily enough, I, was, I'm no, I never did history at school. I mean, I did it up to like year nine, and then um, I, I didn't do GCSE. For Forgive Me Father, which is the fifth book, it's set in um, a fictional middle um, Ruben Abbey. And um, I decided I really ought to know a bit more about this. So my partner and I use it as an excuse to go and visit various abbeys and ruined cathedrals and stuff. And I also looked at, I decided it was, I, I decided having done, my, done a bit of research that the, 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 the abbey went, was ruined um, after the, uh, the, the King, uh, Henry VIII, you know, abolished, abolished the abbeys and, and the churches and stuff. And so I, I, I did a lot of research on that um, out of interest. I went right down a rabbit hole and really enjoyed it. Um, and pretty much never made it in the book. Uh, but that's always the way. Uh, they always say you perhaps should be, authors can be an expert on a subject, apparently, and probably cannot tell you a little bit more than is in the book. But uh, beyond that, I mean, we, we just, you know, fake it till we make it sort of thing. So that was really good. More disturbing research, perhaps, um, in The Common Enemy, which is the fourth book. The book is all about a uh, far-right activist. Well, I, should actually, I should show the book, shouldn't I? That's a good idea. So this was Forgive Me Father. And then we have uh, The Common Enemy, the book immediately before it. Now, that is all about far-right activists who's murdered in a, um, in a back alley. There's been a riot. Um... And they've got to work out who, who killed him. And he was the leader of a party called the British uh, Allegiance Party, BAP. Um, and I had some fun with that because it took me ages just to find a, a suitable name because an awful lot of the names are being used. And uh, BAP is very similar to the British Association of Plastic Surgeons. So I had a little bit of fun with that in the book as well, saying how they got sued. And... Um, I did a lot of research. I also spoke to someone who was actually, he did, he infiltrated a couple of extremist groups. In fact, he'd infiltrated both sides. He did actually, he's, he's, he's gone on the march with the, with, with, with the, with the death of the West lot and has been uh, in with uh, far right activists. And uh, yeah, he's worked very well. And that was really interesting. And it was scary. Uh, some of the stuff you hear, very funny, some of it, because although these guys, to, to dismiss them as idiots is dangerous because actually there's some quite clever and manipulative people who, who run these extremist groups. Um, the foot soldiers are just idiots. They really are. And there's stupid things they do, you know. Um, so, yeah, you have various stories about, uh, about these Muppets. And so that research was genuinely really interesting, um, looking on to looking it up on online, not going, they not going to do their websites because I didn't really want that on my browsing history. But um, yeah, speaking to people, uh, reading about it. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. So yeah, The Common Enemy, I think, is probably one of the more interesting ones. And last year's book, A Price to Pay, had Modern Slavery, which I read a lot about that. Um, there was big, lots of stories on the London News at the time. They did, London News did a big uh, thing on it for several weeks. That was really interesting watching that. Yeah, we had a case of that near us in Nate and Buzzard, um, the traveller camp. I think they found loads. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, that's quite a. Well, I'm, it may be, it may be one of that may be one of the things that sparked the story because um, 
I'd had basically a price to pay is is a um, is is a, the mashing together of two ideas, both of which were going to be short novellas originally. Um, there is the death of a person in the massage parlor, which happened after my partner bought us massages one Christmas, my first one. And after having had the massage, I lay in the room relaxing and thought, you know, if someone came in that room with a knife, there's nothing I could do about it. Um, that was that was the first cut. But the the I'd had for years just an image of a woman in a darkened wood running with dogs and people remember shotgun after her. And when I put those two together, that got really interesting. And then I heard um, one morning when driving across, um, not that far from Bedfordshire, when I was driving to school one day, um, I picked up about um, a story about a traveller's uh, farm and campsite and stuff with these vulnerable workers. And it kind of all comes together in, in that sort of mishmash. But yeah, and I was driving across the fence when I heard it. And uh, the fence is so empty for miles. It's so rural and empty. And I just thought it's, it feels lonely. Uh, I just thought, yeah, you could see it. And as it happened, um, I'd had the, the idea of the book some years before. Eva Dolan had written, um, uh, which one is it? A Long Way From Home, I think it was, the first one. And that involved involved those themes, um, again, in, a, in that sort of rural setting. So... Yeah, the, all those things came together. Yeah, great research, though. Really interesting to look at. Yeah, yeah it sounds like it. <laughs> I'd certainly look at how much it costs to get my, ha- my car hand washed. That's interesting. Think about the odds, right? You go, you you get, you get pay your five or six or seven quid or something to get your car hand washed, right? It takes these people 20-odd minutes. There's about four people working on your car. Do the sums. That is not minimum wage. That's not even close. Um. I was like, oh, I, yeah, I never really thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a pound a person-ish, mm. maybe, at yeah. a push. Yeah, and that doesn't include their overheads for the water and stuff and whoever's running it, because you can say, because they're not running it as a charity. <laughs> I'm assuming the ones in, in supermarket car parks are better regulated because there's no way, you know, Tesco would want to be associated with that sort of thing. But certainly the ones to just pop up on an old derelict ground and stuff. Um, no. And it's a shame because we used to go because these people could earn some money doing a car. I thought it was quite, you know, better than sticking a few quid in the uh, auto car wash at Sainsbury's. Give it, give it to people who are working hard for, for a living to support them, them and their families. And then you think, mm, maybe actually that wasn't the right thing to do. But, yeah. yeah. That's just pure laziness of not wanting to do it yourself. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'm very lazy. Oh, God, I hate washing cars. <laughs> Me too. I swear I end up wetter than the bloody car. And mm. I don't know what possessed me to buy a white car. That really wasn't smart. <laughs> yes, we've got red. It's, it's Yeah, it's, it's a better colour. I mean, I blame the scouts for my, my dislike because we used to raise money for our scout troop by doing car washes. I mean, January, great time to do car washes, isn't it? Wash all the salt off. God, I mean, cold. A whole load of us in pockets. And then, and then, of course, this was back, you know, it's been back in the 80s. Um, you know, a driver hands you 50 pence because it was a contribution, not a fee. 50 pence for doing it. And then whinges that you haven't, like, it's not gleaming, sparkling. It's like, seriously, mate, you're giving him 50p for washing your car. <laughs> Four of us took 20 minutes doing it. Um, what do you expect? Toothbrush around the spokes? <laughs> See, this is why Girl Guides was better. We just got to speak to old people and, you know, yeah. make changes. Wouldn't let my scout near old people who mugged them. So would you consider doing any standalones or would you like to do another series or are you happy carrying on with your series? Uh, uh, or, uh, yes to all of the above. Um, if, yes, so I've got some ideas for standalones, which I hope to look at later in the year. Uh, I want to continue writing Warren. There's, there's another, like I said, book eight next summer, and then the snappily titled book nine the following summer. Uh, but I am very open and would really like to continue writing him because I really enjoy it. And, you know, I've grown with the character and stuff. Um, he's my first love in that respect. Um in terms of another series, well, you know, 
a couple of the standalone ideas I've got potentially could spin off to another series. One of them definitely could have. It's, it's a it's a begins. I started writing that one a couple of years back over the summer, and it was set in the summer of 2020. So I put that one on the shelf. It's got eighty thousand words down, but that that is uh, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. I mean, it's you, realistically. I could transplant a couple of the characters out of it, but to be honest, I'd rather start a fresh series. One of the ideas I've got, if I if I take it to fruition, I probably would write uh, in such a way that it could become a series if I liked writing it and people people enjoyed it. Uh, but it is time. I mean, it's just it's finding, you know, juggling all these things. I want to be doing three things at the same time. I mean, at the moment, um, I've, I've finished the first work working document for uh, book eight next year in the sense that I could give you it. You could read it from beginning to end. It's a story. It's a story that needs a lot of work. It needs a lot of words missing and stuff like that, uh, which is great fun. But of course, all I'm thinking about is book nine. I mean, it's, you know, I keep on having these ideas and jotting them down. Um, And at the same time, I planned out one of the standalones the other day. Um, And I I say planned, (laughs) I have a piece of paper with some writing on, um, but you know that I've got all these ideas, and uh, yeah, if, if I if it's, if I could do three of me writing these three things simultaneously, it'd be, it'd be brilliant. So the answer to the question: yes to all of the above, uh, but just don't ask me when. Okay. <laughs> um, you said <laughs> that you wrote um, sort of two years behind. So when it does get to twenty twenty mm. and the pandemic, are you going to write it or are you going to skip it? Yeah, I mean, it does. I do have the benefit of hindsight. I've got, I know colleagues who, uh, who unfortunately, they they had no choice. Uh, they had to write during, in twenty twenty. Uh, I've just read the latest Liz McGuire di, uh, sorry, Liz Mystery di McGuire book, um, and uh, yeah, the pandemic's in that. Although, uh, for anybody who uh, I've put off there, please don't be put off by that. What she's done is she's very light touch, um, so there's just reference to them socially distancing and interviews put a mask on stuff um what i'll probably do my gut feeling at the moment is that i'll have a book just before so maybe set in february of 2020 with some foreshadowing now susan warren's wife is a school teacher i can assure you that science teachers saw the writing on the wall from about january so we had a we had a gut feeling we didn't always share it um we were doing some wedding planning in the February half term and uh, and there was a voice at the back of my head I kept to myself I was saying um, we'll see how this goes um, by beginning of March I was driving in every morning listening to the news and I was thinking yeah I know where this is going so there can be some foreshadowing I might have a little fun with that with, with her you know um, persuading him to take some hand sanitizer and stuff then I thought what I might do then is have one set perhaps this summer because I'll have the benefit of hindsight so I can accurately write about this summer. Things have opened up a bit more um, and it'll be a light touch. It'll be, you know, he grabs, he gets out the car to go and interview, so he grabs his mask. It'll be that sort of thing. A little bit of social distancing. Hopefully some of these really good police documentaries you see, you know, 24-hour and custody and stuff, a lot of those have got new series coming up and they, and they must have been filmed, at least in part, in lockdown. So I'll be watching those to see how um how they're dealing with it so i can because what i don't want to do is write is me just make it up and think that's sensible and have loads of coppers say oh never never did any of that or seriously that would never happen because we the, we had our health and safety wouldn't allow us to do it so yes that could be quite useful to to uh to know so yeah i i'm not gonna i'm not gonna completely pretend it never happened because i think that'll age the books i mean i know a lot of us don't want to necessarily read something that features the pandemic as a plot line because it's a bit too raw, you know, it's too, it's been too, too painful for everyone. But, you know, that's what happened after in the interwar period, people didn't write about the wars for a couple of years afterwards. And then they started bringing it in because the war happened and everybody was affected by it. And you can't over, gloss over that. And if you look at a book now that was set in 1947, and it didn't mention the war. Looking back on it, you'd think it's a bit weird, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, because surely there was bomb craters in the middle of the, of the high street and stuff still. And a book set in '44 with no mention of the war. I mean, you know, it just wouldn't work, would it? Um, but yeah, those books would. I mean, when they that'll be the 
I mean, that's going to be 23. No. Next summer's book's 2022, isn't it? Yeah, it's 23. Yeah, it'll be about 2024 before I need to start. I mean, I'll have to write it, obviously, 18 months before, but yeah, 2024 before they hit the shelf. So I, I have to, I have to, I can't ignore it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it'll be, hopefully it'll be far enough away yes. to finish with by then. And also yeah. a random tangent, or obviously 24 hours in police custody is filmed in my town. Is um, it? Yes. Uh, yes, and, of course. Yeah. Um, did you see the one in the Luton Mall where the there was blood where three young lads stabbed each other? There was literally blood throughout the whole shopping centre. <laughs> no, I didn't. I tell you why. When I first I don't I don't know whether it was me mis, me misremembering the early series or whether they did genuinely change the format a bit. I thought that 24 hours in police custody was one of these fly on the wall, stick the camera in there literally for 24 hours in police custody. And I never watched it because I just assumed it was going to be um, lots of people uh, being arrested, stuck in front of the custody officer. And frankly, me just getting really annoyed at the waste of taxpayers' money. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you know, why did you do that? Look at all the money you waste. I just thought it would get me annoyed. So I never watched it. And then I recorded it just what the hell, I recorded it, uh, the last series, and realised that they followed the investigation for ages. And I was like, oh, goodness sake, I've been missing this. It's Channel 4, isn't it? Yeah. So I might be able to go back and stream the earlier programmes. But were the earlier programmes, did, did they follow whole investigations? Yeah. Then it's a silly title, isn't it, 24 Hours of Police Custody? Because <laughs> he doesn't, because those investigations, they took, took 18 months, some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you see, that's the thing. You see, I would have, I would have watched it if I'd known it was that. So, um, no, so I didn't see that one. I only saw the latest series, and I was really impressed. My partner and I watched, we watched far too much true crime. It really is not healthy, but we enjoyed that. We really enjoyed that. So now that I know it's on all four, I might do a bit of searching later on. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah if you see that one, then mm-hmm. um, I was at work that day when uh, the boys stabbed each other, and uh, I was training two new people. And yeah. it was their second day. And one of the young girls said, there's blood outside the front. I was like, no, don't be silly. So I went and had a look and was like, mm, yeah, I think it is actually. <laughs> and yeah, uh, sure. then the police came and they shut down the shopping centre. And I went to have a nose because, you know, people do. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. But we couldn't see anything. And it's really funny. One of the security guards that we're quite friendly with, just, just naturally walks past and just goes goes off to wherever he goes off to. It was very funny. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I when I was um I was about 18, I um I saw a, a stabbing um in Coventry Town Centre. Me and my mates had been out for a few drinks and we came, we were walking back, we just gone to a local chip shop. And as we walked back, this this lad came um came across the road, we just had a bit of shouting, and then um they were fighting and shouting at each other and stuff. And it was, um, and it was a, a, a black lad stabbed a white guy. Okay. And he slashed him with a knife. He's more of a slash than a stab. Anyway, he, we went around the corner and uh, then the police turned up um, and they got this lad and they straight down on him, kneeling on him and sort of thing, you know, bang down on the floor. And he'd walk past us shouting, chuck it, chuck it. His mate shouting, chuck it, chuck it. And he looked at us and we thought, oh, God, he's going to chuck a knife at us or he's even going to come at us. So it's quite scary. But anyway, went home, didn't think anything of it. A couple of days later, a local newspaper says that this guy who was stabbed is in critical condition. And we were like, we really need to turn up to the police station and give our side of events. So we did. And I wrote a, wrote a statement. Well, I dictated the statement. They wrote the statement. I got them to correct the statement. Um <laughs> <laughs> and didn't think anything of it until a few months later, second day of Freshers' Week at university in Bath, I get this summons. I was like, oh, are you joking? So I had to ditch Freshers' Week and go back, and I went to the went up to the court, and um, we all came in with the same entrance, and I recognised the guy with the, with the knife, you know. We met the, um, the, the, the various... Uh, lawyers and stuff and they took us into the courtroom and they said and they said we're going to get a screen here went, no no judge didn't like screens I said hang on a second this is the guy who who stabbed someone and I'd quite like a screen because I really don't rather because I live in this town I'd rather he didn't know who I was 
And they said, well, he allegedly stabbed someone. I said, I saw him do it. <laughs> I said, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that he did it. So anyway, we went back and we were not happy, but what can you do? You're there. You've got to give evidence. And uh, I sit down to this guy, the next this guy, and I realised it's the guy who was stabbed. He was absolutely fine. He's got, he's got some, he's got, he has, I mean, he had stitches, but he wasn't stabbed. He was sashed. So the Coventry Telegraph had, had, had lied about him, but yeah, it wasn't even close to death. Apparently, it was stitches and go home. So he, anyway, we get chatting, and he's like, "Oh, I really appreciate you coming into this." Oh, yeah, no problem, Tony. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That black bee, he stabbed me. At which point, I thought, "Oh God," and I pieced it together. Yeah. So what basically happened was this white guy and his mates had gone and given a load of racial to this black lad, threatened him in all sorts. Um, and uh, and they, they got stabbed. And the thing was, I mean, I don't get me wrong, I, I, I chucked the book at the guy. He's got he's carrying a knife. He shouldn't be simple as shouldn't you know? But you suddenly realise I'm not a hundred percent on the side of the angels here, am I? Um, <laughs> fortunately, though, at the last possible minute, the guy changed his plea to guilty, and I never had to give evidence, which meant that I could go home that day. But although the the solicitor spoke to us. I said, I can't believe he's done that, though. He says, you realise they're going to chop the bucket in now because they've sworn in everybody. They've got all of this. They've paid a fortune to get all the witnesses in because they'd had to pay me travel costs and subsistence costs and all sorts. He says, now he's just gone and done that. But he could have, he could have pled guilty much earlier. Um, and, you know, it's it just like, oh. I mean, so it's, it was interesting. It's one of the things I can look back on, um, that, that sort of brushing experience with the, with the, with the criminal justice system. Um, but yeah, it, was, it did leave a, a, a bad taste in my mouth. And then I got asked to come and give evidence because this guy was claiming money off the Criminal Injuries Compensation Board. Yeah. Oh, sorry, he can do it himself. Um, I really wasn't impressed. I, I thought he's at when the way he was speaking, I just thought, oh, you're a full on racist, mate. You, you didn't get what you deserve because I, I strongly believe that that's incorrect. He did not get what he deserved at all. It should never have happened. But yeah, I don't particularly like you, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, don't even get me started on um, it's something that we learn about as part of our degree. And um, mm. some of the opinions I had um, have changed, some mm. for better and some for worse. Yeah, um, I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I must admit, watching a lot of this true crime, I mean, we've been watching some. I, don't, I can't stand Piers Morgan. I think he's a despicable human being. But he's a very good interviewer. Where There's a series on Netflix where he interviews psychopaths. And we've just watched one, we're watching one about uh, killer women. So he goes to these women who are so, serving life sentences for killing people. And there's, uh, we're kind of alternating with another thing called I Am A Killer, which is where people are talking about what happened. And it is really interesting because you hear, you, re you, you do start to develop... Um, opinions on these people often based on whether you think they are legitimately remorseful or whether they are just you know they just they, they've made a they've made a whole construct for themselves where they where they, in many ways they are the victim you know and that is true for some <laughs> cases and we've watched some of the I'm a killer and there was a guy that there's two we've watched where we just went Man, we actually, although the killing should never have happened, we thought, my God, you hear, it's like, it's like tick list, isn't it? The things that happened to the childhood, everything that's happened to them. And you just think, my God, yeah. And you look at the person who they killed and you think, well, you know, you can see how it all came about and they've been failed on every single le level. And now they're in prison for 50 years. And you think, yeah, they, they whilst not taken away from the, the nature of the crime, that was terrible. And then we watched, we've watched other ones where it's the because I'm a killer's fascinating if you've not seen it because they start with a monologue from the from the, the criminal just talking to the camera telling you what they did and this is where they put aside their story then it cuts to the victim's family or to the police and they and they cut forward and backwards two or three times and you really get a feeling for whether these people um, are genuinely remorseful whether the the, the sequence of events they are describing is their their favoured version, shall we say, or whether it is actually a, a reasonable um, summation of what actually happened. And when you cut to the police, then saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the way she talks, you'd think they know each other for ages. Uh, they met each other 26 days previously, and she said she's going to be with him for the rest of her life. And you think, 
oh, now that's interesting. From the way that she was talking, where she apparently, this was a woman who'd done a mercy killing of somebody last or two. Um, and it turns out that they're in only two of 26 days. And you think, really? He asked you to do that after 26 days? It's fascinating. So, yeah, if anyone's not seen it, um, I'm a Killer on Netflix, and it is really quite compelling. And it's good old-fashioned shout at, t- shout at the screen TV, <laughs> which we do a lot of. It's, no, no. Oh, where's the solicitor? Watch the, watch the video, you know. In America, yeah. Do you want a lawyer? Yes, but we're not going to get you one, but yeah. Yeah, I didn't realise they had a different justice system, but now I do. And I'm, I mean, ours is broken, but it's not the American mm, system, no, which is no. much more broken. It's horrendous. <laughs> I mean, Amazing. over here, I, I've, I've spoken to a defence solicitor who says that actually, he says he knows full well that police who stopped interviews and said, seriously, mate, you need a solicitor. Get yourself a solicitor. Because it, 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 it covers everybody as well, because the last thing you want is for some sort of procedural error during the interview, which means that the the jury does look favourable. And, it, and you know, you watch these American ones with no, with no sister, and it looks like they're being bullied, and, and juries don't like that. So it covers everybody. But these American ones, particularly the minors, where they just say, well, you know, you could talk to us now, but if you get, if you get your, your lawyer in, you know, you won't be able to talk to me, and I, I can't do you any favours. And you're thinking, no, no, that's wrong. And these people are just chatting away. We're just shouting, shut up, shut up. Even whether we, even whether we think they're guilty and deserve everything they're ultimately going to get, we're still like, shut up, and get a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, it's appalling. And yeah. um, people with special needs and stuff as well. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, have you seen Making a Murderer? Yes, I was just Brent, thinking exactly that. Brendan Dacey, classic, why isn't is, it? Why is he still in jail? The poor... Oh, yeah, that's the whole thing. Yeah, I follow uh, Laura Narida on uh, Instagram. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it is, it's it's shocking. But also, that initial interview, I mean, no, no, there wasn't even there wasn't even a responsible adult there for half of it, let alone. And he's good, kid with learning difficulties. I mean, it's absolutely appalling. When they do their appeals, it's the same judge who originally sentenced them. And you're thinking, well, hang on a second, you're going to ask this judge and say, look, look, Your Honour, we think you got it wrong the first time round. Would you mind having another look and deciding as the sole authority as to whether you got, whether you did your job wrong or not? But what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, yeah, totally fair yeah, and absolutely. just. Absolutely, yeah, I'll put my hands yeah. up and say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I screwed up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I look like a chump. Yeah, have at it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We seem to have digressed again. <laughs> we have, we have, yes, absolutely, yes. Go on, yank us back on track. <laughs> that means I have to think for another question now. <laughs> um, do you have lots of author friends? I do now. Yes, that's the lovely thing about these festivals is you get to know these folks. Social media, obviously, uh, contact people. There's quite a few who. I'm a member of the Crime Rights Association, so we have regular chat to get together. So there's people there who I've been going to lunch for for years, um, and they're friends, yeah, no question. And there are others. Um, I go to a monthly thing in London called um, First Monday Crime, and uh, it's online at the moment, but it's down London. Down and we tend to meet up at the pub beforehand. There's a panel of four or five speakers chaired by an experienced experience moderator and then back to the pub afterwards and uh genuinely there's a few people there i'd look out for each time and it's, it's meeting your mate month once a month and uh yes i do and it's been an absolute pleasure it, it's a real good laugh um yeah when you're all in the bar afterwards just chatting about uh, often not just not about books and stuff some, it's just just chatting about life yeah so there's definitely a few there who are, who are friends no, no question about that yeah and do you get a lot of feedback from your readers I do get some, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's Amazon reviews, which are a bit, a bit of one-sided feedback. It comes from them and whatever. But I do get the the odd email, which is nice. Um, I've had some really lovely ones. Um, I've had some barking mad ones as well, obviously. But um, <laughs> um, years ago, they would have been written in Red Crown. But um, yes, I, I haven't had too many of those actually. Um, but uh, yes, I have had some some lovely emails from from those um if i find my i'm a member of lots of book groups on on facebook and if i'm tagged and see the post then i will always go in and, and respond 
to that person because I really like that. Um, they're taking the time to actually review the book. They're taking the time to think about, about what you've written and, and often and, and tagged you in to let you know that they were happy with it, um, which is really lovely. I know that there are some who will write an excoriating review and tag you. I've not really, I've not, not really had that. I've been very fortunate. Um, some people I know have, yeah, I mean, that, and in that case, it's always been just bullying, really. But no, normally, it's, I read this book, I really enjoyed it, and I tagged the author in and it's, it's just so nice. Because writing, ultimately, despite all the input from all the, from, from people like my beta readers, my partner, my parents, etc., the editors, fundamentally, it, it, it's a solo pursuit. Um, and so that feedback is lovely. And I'm, I, obviously, my, my, my day job being a teacher, uh, when, I, when I'm in the classroom, I've got 30 people feeding back to me all the time. I mean, teaching is, is, is a job for people who are people people. And you've got your colleagues. And as a secondary teacher, you, you, know, you might teach four or five classes a day. So that's 150 people come through your classroom, um, all of whom give you feedback to a greater or lesser degree, um, good or bad. And so as a writer, you, you, the feedback comes when you publish the book. And, um, you know, that, that's your primary feedback. So it's really lovely when the readers do that. And I often said that reviews are a bit like, imagine you're having an appraisal at work, and but you've had no feedback from your boss all year. It's just the end of the year. He's having you in, having you in their office to give you your, your appraisal feedback. And you've actually got no guidance on how you've done that year. So in many ways, when those first reviews come through, and I've they've just started trickling through for out of sight now. They came. I've had a few on NetGalley and and uh, Goodreads, and there's uh, five on Amazon. Not that I check several times a day. Um, those reviews coming through, you are waiting. You see, right there's a review. Okay, you see the star, which is good. Uh, you think it would be that bad if they're giving it giving that many stars, uh, but still, you're waiting for the you know. Yes, but I, no, I love that. I love the feedback. I, it is so nice, and it's just the thought. Somebody's read my book. I, somebody's took six or whatever hours out of their life to when they could have been doing anything else, you know. And they've 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 spent the time to read my book, and now they're going to tell me what they thought about it. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's been your favourite moment so far being an author? Oh, well, there's the, I mean, the, the the obvious ones are you know the first time you see. Ebook appear on, on Amazon. Uh, my books initially were only ebooks, so it was a, a good few years in before I got the the opportunity to open the box of books. When they went back and did a uh, paperback, put more light into paperback a few years ago. Um, that's good fun. Um, feedback as I, as my circle of author friends has grown as well. Like today, I've been I spent an awful lot of time on Twitter because I've been sharing on Twitter that you know the book was coming out. My I've got a blog post was written. I, I wrote for my publisher was that so I had to share that loads of stuff. And we get this feedback coming through and that's really, that's really lovely. So in terms of, you know, what's your, what's your best moment? Um, I think it's that first time somebody other than my uh, sort of immediate circle of friends and family had read what I'd written and had an, and, uh, and said they liked it. And that's just, it was just like fantastic because, you know, like I say, my, my parents and my, my, my girlfriend are my, are my beta readers and, you know, they love me, so they've got to say it's nice. Um, and my, obviously my editors, feedback from my editors and my publishers is very important. But once that a, a reader who's spent some money and spent time says they like it, then that's just like, yes, that's, that's really, really good. Yeah. Um, if you're able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? Oh, there's a few there, isn't there? Um, I've been lucky enough to meet my idol, Lee Child, a couple of times. Um, he's a very nice man. And um, we actually sat and had a bit of a natter with a group. Not me and me, just a group of us. He just came, kind of plonked himself down with us when we were having a drink at Crime Fest. And that was really nice. And in fact, he was generous enough to troll my sister for me on the family WhatsApp. Because she was, <laughs> he is, so he's from Birmingham. Um, well, actually, no, he's not. Sorry, he was born in Coventry, but brought up in Birmingham, which means he's an Aston Villa fan. Now, I'm not into sport, but my sister is a big Coventry City fan. And if there is one 
team that Coventry City hate on the entire planet, it is Aston Villa. So somebody born in Coventry supporting Aston Villa is a massive trait. So anyway, my sister was heavily pregnant and I asked him, what do you do with WhatsApp? Video on the family WhatsApp. And he wished her all the best. Uh, said that, uh, you know, he hoped the baby was happy and healthy and grew up to be a Villa fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, shared that one on the family WhatsApp. Everybody replied except her. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, so that was fun. Um, and I'd love to spend more time with Lee. Someone I've never, two, two authors I've never met, never met, uh, massive fans of their books. Michael Connolly uh, from the Harry Bosch series. I mean, I'd love to meet him properly. I've only ever seen him on the screen because I think he was going to do one of the festivals that was cancelled last year. And I remember being gutted particularly. David Baldacci is the other one. I mean, he writes two or three a year. I mean, different series. I was delighted when he did a, he did a live event uh, online and I asked him a question um, and I was delighted he, you know, the, he answered that question. I'd love to, to meet him, uh, spend, you know, spend some bit of time just chatting with him. because He, he seems like a really interesting guy, as does Michael Connolly. Um, so yeah, I think those, those three are the ones that spring to mind immediately. Briefly met, very briefly met Karen Slaughter, would love to spend more time with her because she just seems to be an absolute blast, doesn't she? She's just, she's an absolute, I had no idea, um, until I went and saw her doing an, she did a panel with Mark Benningham a couple of years ago, because they both got published the same year, so they've known each other for the years. And the, the Mark, Mark being obviously is, is great value for money whenever you watch him, he's brilliant. The two of them together was just hilarious. And I thought, because I, I, I had not even heard her voice before then. I think I'd seen her, I might have I possibly seen her doing a brief thing on a true crime thing. But yeah, I've not really not seen her. And she was absolute revelation. I thought, oh, yes. So I really hope that when everything's traveled, bands and stuff are listed, lifted, she does come over to one of the UK festivals um, because then I will uh, I will definitely go to whatever she's doing and hopefully um, end up in the bar having a chat. That would, that would be fantastic because she just looks absolute hoot. <laughs> yeah, I would totally fangirl over her. She's one of the reasons she's, like, I've read all her books, I think. Yeah, she's superb, isn't she? Her yeah. series is so dark and so, um, and so yeah, so dark in so many ways, yet still it's an enjoyable read. I mean, it, you know, and her standalones, I mean, some really clever standalones. Really clever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I admire her professionally, but also she just looks damn good fun. <laughs> yeah, I love Mark Benningham. I've interviewed him. Yeah. It's just an absolute laugh. He's great. Oh, yeah, he's a great laugh, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. It's just nuts. It's just an absolute nutcase. <laughs> yeah, they always used to say when you go to the major festivals, the first person you bump into is Mark Billingham outside, and then the last person you see as you as you say goodbye to everyone is Mark Billingham. He just seems to be omnipresent at these things. <laughs> uh look around, there's Mark. Um, sometimes you think, hang on a second, I'm sure he's in there doing a panel <laughs> and he's standing there having a pint. I mean... <laughs> oh, brilliant! Yeah, hopefully, I could meet him. I'd love to meet him properly. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's got the public persona, obviously, but he's a genuinely nice guy to be around as well. He's, he's really, really pleasant man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seemed to be. I'm really modest as well, which is really nice, actually, considering yeah. it's like insanely successful and done so many different things. Yes, yeah, yeah. Where is it? Some people just have it all, don't they? <laughs> I know, I know. And and they made Marion. I mean, you know, the man's got everything. <laughs> Running around in tights. I'm sure that's many a man's dream. <laughs> <laughs> that's just great thing about zoom calls isn't it i mean you've got no idea what i'm wearing below here i mean it could, could be you know i could be i could be dressed as a as a as a, as a, as a minstrel from robin hood's time you just never know would you no, i mean this I, hides a lot of sins because i desperately need another lockdown haircut yes and uh we shall keep it that way by the way and also likewise you know yeah I can just be you know but yeah anyway well, I can't stand up anyway I've got a camping table um because my office is no way but I want to show the world to stay in my office and we put it put put the camping table in front of a nice bookcase and the laptop for anything like this but to, I yeah to get everything in the right space my, I am basically embedded under this camping table so there is no way I can stand up um <laughs> Yeah, if I do, you're just going to see the laptops go. Woof. 
yeah, you'd have to save your uh, your tights or your tutu skirt or your high heels for next time. Yeah, well, um, I mean, the hat has been a signature look at um, festivals for a while, simply because I usually go in the summer. Um, but uh, what you don't see at the moment is because I'm not because uh, just for just for clarity, I have I do have uh, clothes on the lower half, but I'm not wearing trousers that my my braces fit on because I normally wear braces. So my signature look at sort of any of these things is is braces and a hat. So uh, yes, the, the braces will be back out next year at the festivals. <laughs> awesome! I shall keep an eye out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what do you like to do when you're not writing and teaching and whatever else? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, far too much true crime. Um, an yeah. awful lot of true crime. We really enjoy that. Um, yeah, reading is the obvious one. I mean, I, I love doing reading. Um, yeah. Um, do you know, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't got any like really exciting hobbies. I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't do macrame in my spare time um, or anything like that. Um, an awful lot of what I do is you know, reading, um, watching crime TV and stuff, sort of consuming media, if you like. Um, I got into, and I had to stop swimming. I'm good about that. I'll hopefully start doing that over the summer again once uh, the jabs have uh, kicked in properly and, social distancing is, is a bit better so yeah back in swimming and stuff like that but no for the most part it is just yeah it is primarily reading and 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 uh watching documentaries and stuff and and the writing is it started as a hobby you know became a hobby that uh, um that funded itself and now is part of my living so it's kind of it's 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 evolved over time so i do spend an awful lot of time thinking about writing you know what i want to write next and and that so yeah yeah we're, we're I'm, I'm not the most exciting and dynamic of people i have to say when it comes <laughs> me either so it's fine <laughs> um who was your first celebrity crush oh goodness me i can tell you my current one is hopefully you your girlfriend could- <laughs> she's not a celebrity so I'm a, I've got a free pass on I've got a free pass on oh, that's I, right I, then. Yeah. I think I've got a free pass I like on Victoria you're not Coronet. married yet you know that right <laughs> she's yeah, exactly. still ditch you <laughs> <laughs> no 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 we, we did, that's not going to happen we've, uh, we've we've just bought a new microwave between us so you know this, <laughs> oh, we okay. stayed together if, if only for the sake of the microwave um <laughs> Yes, I, uh, I actually proposed to her in the back of one of my books. So uh, well, uh, I know. So if she ever does leave me, that would be embarrassing because it's in the British Library forever. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, Celebrity Crush. Oh, goodness me. I have to say, um, Kylie Minogue back in the 80s was 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 interesting when you were a young man. It was like... <laughs> um, but yeah, um, that's probably, I suppose, yeah, probably about the first I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's weird with guys it's either cartoon characters actually generally it's cartoon characters which i find really odd and actually yeah with... i've just remembered chitara from um from uh thundercats yeah yeah whereas women it's david Cassidy or donny osmond like pretty much generally always Very oh wow <laughs> yeah. i know the missus currently likes henry cavill um, but she's probably pretty much the only reason she's watched um, the various uh, DC movie stuff with me. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, funny enough, she's not. She's not. She didn't watch the previous um, Mission Impossible movie. I maybe ought to convince her because he's in it. He's got a moustache. Um, yeah. Yeah, I reckon that would probably do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if we were to ask your darling fiance what your most annoying habit is, what would she say? Isn't there a limit to how long these recordings can last? Nope. No. No. Oh, right, okay. I've oh, got the extra uh, full probably. Le- well, le- leaving stuff around. Um, <laughs> I've got better. I mean, I got. She she thanked me the other day uh, because I was leaving. Um, I, I stay up later after, and she does, and I I sort of sitting there drinking squash and that in the evening while I'm working, and um, I was tending to leave the, the. Well, she says I always do. I, did it sometimes, but she says you always leave the your, your pint glass of uh, empty pint glass in the uh, living room. So I did put it. I made a point of putting it in the kitchen 
before I went to bed the other night and put a post-it note on it to say, see, I can put my glass, my glasses back. Um, so leaving things around. Um, yes, I can imagine, I can imagine just me generally can be quite annoying if you're stuck in a house with me for 14 months. But uh, yeah, I think that's pro- probably the, the, probably the main thing she'd say. Yeah. It sounds like she's training you though, ready for when you're married. So that's good. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of training needs to be done. I mean, she's, she, has, she doesn't squirt water at her face yet, so I can be grateful for that. <laughs> um, if you were able to visit any country, um, where would you go? Obviously, oh, you goodness. know, most restrictions and rubbish. Yeah, um, I know there's been, we've always said we've got one or two sort of relatives who live in Australia, and we've, we've said that would be, Cheryl's been to Australia before she went before she met me. Um, but I um I would like I'd like would like to go um do a bit of a tour there of Australia. Um our plans for the for honeymoon is we want to go to Florence. Um we we postponed the wedding four times now. So hopefully at some point next year we will get to Florence the honeymoon. Um and I actually worked for six months in Toronto. But I never saw anything. I just spent all my time in the lab. And I, when I finally decided I'd, I'd had enough of that, I was going to come back and retrain as a teacher. I um, I had a brief period of a few days where I was able to go and see a bit more of Toronto. So we're, that's, we were going to go, ideally, go for a quick trip to Florence for three or four days after we got married and then go for two or three weeks to Toronto and actually see that part of Canada properly, uh, Niagara Falls and all that sort of thing. And there'd been a summer as well, because when I left in the winter, there was uh, it was minus 15 and there was a million and a half of snow on the floor, which, you know, even the Canadians struggle to put their put the, put their best side on show when you're when the weather's like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think my um, my cousin's getting married in Canada. Mm. Maybe not next year, the year after. So if he does, I'd love to go. Yeah, yeah, we're getting married in Essex, but <laughs> but yeah, the honeymoon might be cut. Yeah, <laughs> fingers crossed. We we had it all booked, and then obviously we had to cancel it last year. We we did get everything back, which is good. But um, yes, it was uh, yeah. So we, had a, we found a lovely apartment, and everything. I mean, it was just a real case of this is you know we've got just what well, I was so 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 looking forward to it. It's like ah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> It'll be so much better when you finally get there. Party, isn't it, next year? Literary festivals, wedding, honeymoon. It's just going to be a year-long party. That's great. <laughs> um, well, I don't think I have any more questions for you, unless you think there's anything that I haven't asked you that you want to tell us about. No, I think we've rambled on for a very long time. We've, done, we've, we've, we've pretty much touched on everything. Um yeah, everything. I think there's no stone was left unturned. Fortunately, you weren't recording the first 15 minutes when we got to know each other. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. no, I've had a blast. It's been an absolute hoot. Um, so, yeah, really, really enjoyed that. And uh, now I can say I've been morphotive, which I believe is now a verb. Um, Apparently, yeah. Who started that? I, can't I don't know. I noticed it on, on your on your Facebook group. Well, that's great. Yeah. Was it Liz? Liz Mystery, was it? Or? Could possibly have been Liz. Yeah. Yeah. You would say, yeah, yeah, that made me laugh. <laughs> uh, speaking, speaking of Liz, I'm just gonna put a shameless plug in. Um, so I am um, so in a couple of weeks' time, uh, I am uh helping moderate a panel crafting a compelling copper. It's the Crime Rights Association are doing a series of free events. You have to get an Eventbrite ticket just to get the link and stuff, but it's free. Um, and the details, and I shall uh, I shall make sure I am reading them out properly. Okay, so it's June fifteenth at seven thirty. Uh, it's part of Nat- uh, National Crime Reading Month. This, if you're not if you're not realised, is uh, is what June has been designated. And basically, I will be talking to Jane Bettany, who wrote In Cold Blood, Liz Mystery, who has two series. She has the Di Gus McGuire and the Nick, uh, Nikki Parrick. And then Ros Watkins, um, who writes Meg Dalton. And basically, we're going to talk about um, what it takes to write an interesting police officer. Um, We'll probably talk a little bit about uh, settings and books generally. It's going to be really, really good fun. So um, if if you're interested in tickets uh, for that, like I said, the free, um, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at DCI Jones Writer. 
and I'll get a link up there a little bit later on. Uh, but it's in my th- my feed, and I keep on getting tagged in it, so you, you can find me easy enough. So uh, crafting a compelling copper. If you do search for it, you should find it very easy. I'll um I'll try and add the link on when I post a video. So oh, terrific! That'd be really helpful. Yeah, it's like totally gonna go and get a ticket as well. <laughs> as long as I'm not working, <laughs> but I shouldn't be. Um, yeah, so before we go, would you like to tell everyone where they can find your books and where they can find out more about you? Absolutely. So, uh, out of sight, obviously, it came out on June 4th, the day we were recording this. So, it's currently ebook. It will be out in paperback and audiobook uh, on August 5th. So, you can get them, you get it from all the usual retailers there. My publisher is HQ Digital, which is part of HarperCollins. So, you can go directly to the website there. Um, if you want to find out more about me, well, my website is a good place to start, uh, www.paulgitsham.com. Um, obviously, my spelling is in the will be in the link uh, that, that um, Donna posts. And uh, on social media, I have, there is, if you look for, um, on Facebook for DCI Warren Jones, there's a DCI Warren Jones page specifically. And then um, I'm on Instagram, Paul Gitsham. And um, Twitter is at, at DCI Jones Writer. So, uh, so yes, I am available in all of those uh, those media. But the website's a good place to start because it's got link jumps off to all of them. So all of the books I've got their own page on there, so you can see what they're about and the themes. Um, and all my books, so all seven full length books are available in paperback and audio as well. And then there are four shorter novellas which are ebook only you can read them i mean they're an ongoing story but um and as always they benefit from being read in order but all the feedback i've had on all the books lately are i've often been from this is the first one i picked up and i hadn't read this in the series but uh, it doesn't seem to matter so yes uh don't yeah don't, don't feel you necessarily have to start at the beginning um if you see one that just takes your fancy dive straight in Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it.